you know it's great to see vajazzles on the wall? If there was something that I wanted to see at a prestigious international photo festival, it's a vajazzle. Hello, welcome, or welcome back to Photo Slut. I am Laura Lam Mallet. I am a photographic artist, educator, and full-time photo slut. It's really nice to have my headphones back on and cosplaying as a light, a light? No, <laughs> yeah, as a light, uh, as a late night um, radio DJ again. Nice to see that I've got my pronunciation back on track. Nope. Thank you for bearing with me. Thanks for um, indulging me in a little mid-season break. I know I'm sort of going on like I'm Peter Jackson and it's, I'm directing Lord of the Rings trilogy, but actually... I don't know if I realise the amount of work that would go into recording myself talking and uploading it. So, yeah. I just wanted a little break to make sure that I wasn't churning out absolute garbage and I had time to sort of pause and reflect. Which is not completely dissimilar to my uh, photographic practice, but I've been uh, pausing and reflecting for about a year and a half on the same 25 photos. So, that's just... Uh, an excuse at this point. I'm going today for the world's fastest podcast turnaround. Uh, when I say the world's fastest, I mean my fastest. Um, it is Tuesday. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. It's Thursday. Oh my God. Uh, my brain is fried. My eyes are fried. I've been looking and looking and looking and listening and looking and talking. So maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't do this in a, um, in a talking format. Maybe this should be like an interpretive dance. But yeah, world's fastest uh, podcast turnaround. Um, so let's see if this works. Let's see if this makes sense. I've got my Perspex uh, glasses on for the business part. And I've got an Udi on as well for the casual part. So I'm trying to play devil's advocate on this. So due to my international success on this podcast... Uh, and my unwavering desire to permeate your earwaves with my gargle, um, I was lucky enough to go to... Is it luck? Maybe it's luck. I was lucky enough to go to the press day for Photo London, and I'll talk a little bit, I'll introduce that a little bit more. Um, and that was on the Wednesday, which was yesterday. And then I got on the last coach home to Bristol. And I am recording this now to go out on Friday morning. Um, and I think that's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest. Because there's, oh, how do I make this sound not complicated? Um, I think this would be a completely different show to if I waited one or two weeks and digested the the absolutely ginormous amount of art I saw and then put together something that was quite nice and constructed and sort of everything fed into each other and cohesive but I don't know whether that's sort of the way that I think I should do this um and yeah when I go to these things, I'm sure like everybody else, you know, you're you're overwhelmed with so many things that you almost have to be a little bit like you've got blinkers on 
which is if something doesn't take my interest, I don't engage with it. And that might mean that I'm losing out on a lot of things to look at. But I'm also able to not be completely desensitized to constantly looking at imagery. And I am able to sort of go on gut instinct. Um, and also, if a photograph for me doesn't capture my attention, that doesn't mean it's not successful, but perhaps it's not successful for me. And it's not something that I should be talking about because maybe it's not made for me or, you know. I mean, and when I say interest, I don't just mean aesthetics and things that I like. I also, things that capture my interest are things that I think are absolutely gopping. And there was a lot that was gopping, but I'm not, probably not going to talk about that sort of stuff. I probably will over a couple of pints in the pub, but um, I'm really trying to get invited back next year. So, you know, this is not the sort of TMZ of, uh, or, or what's the other thing? Like, I don't know. Do you even have, like, gossip mags anymore? Like Perez Hilton, maybe. But that's that's not the brand that I'm going for. So, um, yeah. And I think that I would love to have, you know, sat down and thought about this for a couple of weeks. But I realised today that if I did that, I think it would be a lot more articulate but not as authentic and I would have time to digest everything whereas I'm quite interested in this sort of thoughts aloud process of sort of putting it out there which means I might make a lot of mistakes and it might not be right but I sort of see it maybe a little bit more like when you're going home from a from a show or from I say festival, it's not like download or something, you know, a photo festival, whatever, and you're, you're talking shit on the way home and, and on the plane or in the car or whatever, and you're like, oh, that was good. No, it wasn't. Yeah, da, 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 da. Uh, so maybe that's sort of what I'm doing here, but I have the benefit of no one's arguing back on against me. But, you know, as always, sound off in the comments. Love that. So Photo London, for those who don't know it or haven't been to it or are thinking of going to it, because hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, this is going to come out on Friday morning and Friday, Saturday, Sunday are like the big days for Photo London. And if you like what I have to say or you might think that something I do say is wrong and you might want to go and visit something or, you know, you've still got the whole weekend to do it. And that's kind of why I wanted to get it out quite fast um, because people might pick this up and think, oh, yeah, actually... It is worth the extortionate entry fee. Um, and maybe I will go and look at some pictures. So Photo London is at Somerset House. I always thought Somerset House was the place that you just went to have your name changed. Uh, and I always had this sort of fancy of going there and changing my name to Phoenix or, you know, something like that. But um, never happened. Uh, but now I go there for photo festivals anyway. Loads of galleries come and um, exhibit. There's loads of publishers there. They have a bit where you can look at sort of old prints of the masters like, you know, Guy Bourdin and Helmut Newton and, you know, people like that. And then you've also got the discovery area, which is sort of a bit more edgy and a bit more up and coming or, you know, there's a lot of hive and activity around those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of everything for everyone. Like I said, set in Somerset House, really, really beautiful. Gives me sort of Bridgerton vibes. Not that I've ever seen it, but everyone's talking about it still. Um, you know, and it's it's just cool. It's fun. 
it was a really enjoyable visit physically, but I do think that that's because I went before everybody else was there. Um, there's something really weird and really um, stale about all looking at the same picture. Like, you know, you're moving around like a, like a school of fish and everybody's sort of gawping at these pictures on the wall and it's all a bit strange, but it wasn't so busy when I went. Um, so that was quite nice and it was a bit more like, um, not like Westfields on Christmas Eve or Black Friday is what I would say. So yeah, like I said, um, I managed to uh, obtain a press pass, which was for the press VIP day, which was super cool. And actually, I think that whole thing for me was really important because the main reason I applied for a press pass was because I I didn't really have the funds to, you know, just be paying for the entrance fee, which is pretty extortionate. And, you know, that is something to be flagged up in the context of other things that I'm going to talk about, uh, which I think that they do really well. Um, but yeah, so I was lucky to obtain a press pass because I asked for it and I and because I couldn't afford it I mean I didn't say that but you know I said I have a podcast and this is what it's called I'm sure there were crickets when when that came out um but th yeah this is what it's called and and I'd love to to come and I'm really interested in one of the exhibitions in particular that you've got on um and they said yeah and they invited me to that day uh and I think the whole moral of that story is ask because you know Michael Scott, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. You know that's that's true. Words have never been spoken, but um, yeah, it was that was really important for me actually because I felt actually like I I did sort of belong there, and I didn't feel an imposter syndrome sort of hurricane building within me, which is pretty nice. Um, I felt pretty comfortable and happy. So, yeah, that was cool, um, which is really rare, I think. I think the reason that I hang out with, you know, sort of Bristol photo friends so much is because I'm really dubious about the absolute snakes that I think are possibly out there, and I, I don't really like feeling uncomfortable in that sort of position. Um, but, you know, sometimes you've got to get on with it, really, haven't you? So, yeah, I went to the press day, I arrived at 9.30 promptly because I absolutely did detest being late for anything. Mm, social occasions sometimes I am, but yeah. I think it's a really good thing if you're a photographer, be on time. That's it. No more, no less. You can take shit pictures, be on time. Um, but yeah, and while I was in the queue, I saw Tom, Tom Booth Woodger. So shout out him if you're listening. Um, this is late night radio, isn't it? Shout out Tom if you're there. Um, a friendly face. If you see a friendly face, you know, stick together. There's there's strength in numbers. Um, and that was really cool. We had some breakfast and coffee. I mean, breakfast, I mean, the world's smallest croissants. But that's good because you can have more of them. Great coffee and oat milk. Isn't it nice to be in London? There's oat milk, you know? Great. Um, coming from Bristol, the vegan capital of the entire universe. But yeah. That was wicked. Once we'd finished our snackette, we went through to have a talk from Martin Parr. And I'm... Blah. Yeah, I have a sort of, I suppose, tricky relationship with him. I don't need to get into anything 
personal. This is not a helpline. But um, I really super idolised him when I was growing up. He was the photographer for me. I think actually I, I, I said that he was like the Peter Kay of photography for me. Like I just wanted to embody everything that he was about. Um, and, you know, ignorance is bliss because maybe perhaps when I started looking into things, maybe representation, you know, those sort of things maybe didn't sit right with me and, anymore. But, you know, life is long and, you know, you've got to learn to work through them. And there's got it's a very complicated subject, but I'm not going to I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But anyway, we had a talk from Martin. Uh, what I found really striking to begin with was... Uh, so many people were like, obviously it was press day, but like mad picture taking and mad video taking. And I, I said to Tom, like, I forget that, you know, for most of the people in the in the room, he's not just down the road and you don't see him sort of on a semi-regular basis. Uh, and that was kind of um, mad to me. But, you know, <sighs> London's got a target on its back because Bristol really is a place to be. But anyway, 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 this is Photo London, not Photo Brizzle. Um, so, yeah, even with that sort of, you know, I went into that situation being a little bit hesitant and thought, you know, oh, I know his work very well because I studied it for a long time and it was my favourite for a long time. But also, you know, I was there. I was there to soak in the atmosphere and... You know, I want to hear what people have to say and people's opinions change, people's photographs change, people's ideas on their own work change. You know, life is not linear and I'm super... I can't live my whole life dealing in, you know, definites. There, there's there's a spectrum of thought and there's a spectrum of um, conversation. So I'm always willing to hear what, what people have to say on certain things, you know bar the obvious like nutters in the world but anyway enough of my sort of ethics lesson so Martin gave us a talk and he showed us a lot of different work and he he sort of was explaining his sort of love-hate relationship with Britain and photographing it um and I love the deck chairs to be fair um and that sort of whole thing was quite interesting I was thinking about the fact that if I am a photo slut I do actually have to play that slut role and and do indulge in oh my god it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be an episode unless you heard the fridge would it really uh yeah i have to be a photo slut in the, in terms of the fact that i am willing to put the best light on people and 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 you know be in it for the ride and then sort of digest that afterwards so yeah i think it's good to sort of partake in things like that partake wasn't a pun by the way that's just my genius coming through there. So after the tour, we went through, me and the press, me and the squad, uh, went through to look at uh, writing her own script, uh, women photographers from the Hyman Collection. And that was a tour that was led by James Hyman of the Hyman Collection. And also he's the director of the new Centre for British Photography, which was amazing. Uh, and that's really what I was there to see and sort of ooze in and, you know, sort of breathe all the way out when I went in there and then inhaled everything he had to say and all the images and the curation and everything like that. I was I was super, super excited to see everything that was going on. So writing her own script um, celebrates 
pioneering women photographers at work in Britain over the last 100 years. And it charts a course from the 1930s to the present and provides a sort of overview of photography in Britain. Um, and the exhibition focuses on two strands, a humanistic documentary tradition and then a more personal performative practice. And when you first walk into the exhibition, it was quite interesting actually because the first thing that James said was the way that we went in is the way that you were meant to sort of see the exhibition in its linear designed form. But he was aware of the fact that people were going to come down the staircase at the other end of the exhibition and maybe see it back to front. But I quite like that because in seeing it back to front, there's something quite nice about not reading about an exhibition as a preface and actually reading everything as an afterthought once you've had an opportunity to sort of uh, consume and digest the imagery and create your own story. A little bit like, you know, the credits at the end of the film that's like, yeah, actually this was a true story and this is what happened afterwards. And I think it talks a little bit to what I was saying earlier about, you know, uh, viewing work and talking about work uh, on impulse, even if it's in your own mind, before sort of sitting down and dissecting and digesting everything, um, because your opinion of it might become a little bit, s uh, not stagnant, but maybe a little bit uh, preformed, maybe. And also, you're sort of taking your own mind and putting it in the curator's hands, which I think is super beneficial and, and informative. But if, you know, there's a way of seeing things in your own way and then seeing it in somebody else's. As usual, I'm trying to follow some sort of structure, but of course I'm going to get waylaid with, you know, every other sentence and interesting idea that I think I have. Um, but yeah, so the exhibition entrance then the way that we went in the correct way I'd like to add uh, or the intended way let's say it opens with this big image on the right hand side from Susan Hiller and that's actually where the exhibition gets its name from writing her own script and this is from um, Susan's series uh, self-portrait series Midnight and if my memory sort of serves me correctly, these images were made at midnight in a tube station or a train station uh, on sort of um, photo booth style pictures. And then she's sort of scribbled and written over the top of them, but they're actually quite difficult to read. I mean, no, they're not quite difficult, they're impossible to read, um, which is quite interesting. You've got this... James said something that I really picked up on, which was uh, this sense of a, a desire to communicate, but a failure to communicate. And I think not only for a lot of artists and photographers is that super, um, probably triggering actually, but you know, something that's at the forefront of our minds, but especially for a lot of female photographers. Um, I wanna talk about this a little bit later, but um, this, this is so in impossible to structure, but I'm really interested in this idea of the stories that people expect you to tell, the stories that you want to tell, and then the stories that you sort of feel like you need to tell. And obviously by stories, I mean, you know, the photographs that you take, 
And that's something that's been on my mind since listening to uh, Emma Hardy on a Small Voice podcast. Shout out Ben Smith. I actually did see Ben in passing at Photo London, but he was in conversation. And you know, I don't want to. I don't want to start a rivalry too soon. Um, but also, you know, we'll probably be best mates. We probably can't be best mates either. Um, there's got to be some sort of healthy, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, and Emma Hardy talking talking about photographing her children but not sort of having or as babies and not having the sort of technical knowledge to photograph them in sort of any other mindset than a mother and less like a photographer and and I couldn't help but think what's the relationship there because I was listening to it on the way back from a holiday with my family in in Cornwall and it's actually the holiday that I went on this is a callback to Dan's episode, Dan Dale, on the last one, where I say that I, you know, I took this big sort of medium format camera there to sort of maybe prove something to myself about, you know, using this vehicle to take these pictures that hold this sort of prestige. And I photograph a lot on my phone normally. And I was photographing my um, younger sister and I was photographing my family. And I think I was really blurring that line between photographing as a sister and a daughter. But I was sort of well aware that I was photographing for a a project and a project that's about me and a project that I probably would like to make into a book and that I would like to sell so that I can put food on the table. And, you know, all of these sort of questions. Uh, But, you know, as usual, I've made the conversation about myself so uh, let me just uh, swing swing back round to um, those images that we saw when went straight in. So yeah, that's where the exhibition gets its name from. Um, and obviously, I mean, it's intentional genius, this idea of writing your own script. Um, and that comes with a lot of weight in itself, doesn't it? This idea of a script and, you know, this idea of being in charge of your own destiny... And, you know, probably because it's late at night, but I'm I'm thinking about, you know, writing it for yourself and who are you writing it for and what's the outcome of it and what's the purpose of it and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I love this thing where where um, Susan Hiller talks about this idea of, uh, she says, they're, they're photo booth images and I've done hundreds of pictures of other people using photo booths, which I conceive of as a small theatre. It has curtains and you know it challenges the traditional portraiture of the head and shoulders format but i love this idea of theater you know it's all theater everything's theater everything's constructed and and it's is it for entertainment is it to increase your intellectual capacity you know i mean photography is theater and photo london is the theater you know i will talk about the fashion i saw some amazing shoes and handbags but I'll talk about that a bit later. feels almost wrong to, to, for me to be focusing on shoes and handbags when I've just been talking for the last 10 minutes about how important it is to write your own story in feminism and women. But I guess that is my story, and um, I'm allowed to, you know, and maybe these people paved the way for me. Maybe I'm rambling. Well, maybe that's the way it is. Maybe that's my script. It's mumbo-jumbo. So once we go through there, there's these beautiful um, pictures from a series from uh, Eliza Hatch uh, of Cheer Up Love on Instagram. 
um, which sort of, you know, shifts the tone straight away. And we've got this picture as well in front of us um, from Sarah Maple, um, which is called Votes for Women, which I think you should absolutely look up because it's amazing. I want to I wanna say it's sort of, I mean, I actually didn't read the description, so maybe this is what it says, but it's, um, do you know it's great to see vajazzles on the wall? If there was something that I wanted to see at a prestigious international photo festival, it's a vajazzle, a vajazzle with a message. And like I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get up, I'm, I'm not trying to get up. Like I said, I'm not trying to get sort of, you know, waylaid with individual artworks because I'm talking about how the exhibition moves as a whole and what it represents in this sort of time and everything. Um, but I do want to talk about a couple of pieces in particular. And if there are pieces that I sort of skim over, it's probably because they are artists that are also exhibiting in the centre of British photography and I'll probably, you know, track back there. So everyone's going to have their time. Everyone's going to have their air time. Um, in the second room, you have these sort of historical images, which are really beautiful, and they're very much... Um, I don't think they fell into that sort of preconceived idea of what women should have been photographing at the time, which I think made them so effective in this sort of, you know... Uh, sort of I don't know, it wasn't like a precursor to the rest of the show, but it was that first sort of, you know, sort of tap on the shoulder that said you know this is this is where we are this is where we started some work that I really liked was uh, Dorothy Bohm's work and really sadly actually she died not that long ago and she was 98 um I think yeah I think it's amazing that her work was being you know championed and celebrated but um yeah it's really sad that she wasn't there I think from what I understand of her work and her practice and sort of what she stood for um, I think she would have really enjoyed that exhibition and, and would have really valued being a part of it. But um, yeah, she's a German-born British photographer and, and she's sort of based in London for most of her life and she takes a lot of portraiture and sort of, you know, early use of colour and she documented Paris and and she was a sort of, you know, a big player in the game. Not player, but, you know, a big player in the game in um in British photography and the two pictures um, of her, oh sorry, of hers that I really liked and they were super nostalgic for me were one of Whitestone Pond, um, which is sort of on the brow of, uh, between um, sort of Kenwood House and the Spaniards in, in, in North London, sort of, I think it might be one of the highest points, if not the highest point, um, and it's a it's a big pond that I used to go past a lot in the car with my nan and I always thought about going in there but I never did. I don't I don't know. If, people used to race their boats in there, I think. Um but there's something about being on a journey and I, I saw that place a lot and I, I really loved that. And then she had another picture which I loved, which was Kenwood um which I, Kenwood House, I assume, uh, in the winter, which was quite ominous but super, super atmospheric. Obviously, I'll put these pictures up on Instagram so that you can have a look at them. Kenwood House, I think it's been in like a lot of Richard Curtis films. It has a lot of history, a lot of interesting sort of notable residents living there, hosts a lot of proms. Um, but my mum and my stepdad also got married there. Um, they got married there on the Friday the 13th, 
which also happened to be my dad's, my mum's ex-husband's birthday. But, you know, that that's another episode. We don't even need to go into that now. We don't have the time, actually, to get into that right now. Um, but, yeah, I really like those images of hers. I thought they were beautiful and there was a softness about them. And And I think, I don't know, even though I'm saying softness, I wonder if I'm reading those images slightly differently because I know of the person that's taken them and I know that it's an exhibition celebrating women and I know that she was sort of, you know, not running alone, but she women in photography were few and far between in those sort of, you know, post-war time. Um, and I wonder if it was a man that I would have just been like, oh, yeah, some people in a pond. Oh, that's sweet. Um, guess we'll never know. Uh, but, yeah. I really thought her work was super interesting. And then on the sort of opposite wall um, was Bindivora's um, work, Mountain of Salt. There was a selection of images which are um, found images and text and collage. And it's a sort of human, or, you know, I've taken this from um, Bindi's website, it's sort of um, conceptualised as a human response to the unfolding of COVID-19. God, it's been a while since we've spoken about COVID. It's fallen out of fashion, hasn't it, really? Uh, that's not from her website. That's my sort of, you know, ad lib. Um, and and this pairing of sort of jarring commentary from journalists and trusted people pieced with these images is it's a sort of investigation into the use of language, I think, and... You know, she says that everything felt amplified and I think it, it still does feel amplified and everything is, you know, words are so loaded and heavy and imagery is so heavy and I would actually really love for people to view perhaps the rest of the festival and, and all the other work with this sort of idea of, you know, charged imagery and charged text, but not in a way that it's intentionally charged, but just with that understanding of what we're a approaching or what we're carrying, you know, mentally and emotionally when we're looking at images. And I think that's really difficult because, you know, I think I'm I'm pretty good at reading images, and I, you know, it's a, it's a job, and and I'm I'm well versed in it, and it's still really consuming and really emotional I suppose but it's hard work it's fucking hard work I think is what I'm trying to say here and you know I have a lot of coffee breaks and a lot of cigarette breaks and a lot of sit downs and but you know I'm on 17,000 steps and my eyes haven't stopped you know looking I, tr I tried to take a picture today down by the harbour side in Bristol and um I was squinting so much in the pictures and I wondered whether it was just my eyes giving up on me from looking at so much yesterday. Uh but yeah, it was worth it. And I and I just wonder if if we are sort of conscious of the amount that we absorb um even though obviously you know it's it's voluntary and I'm going to photo London to look and to see and to investigate and to indulge but it's still incredibly hard work um for a lot of reasons i think um but i i'd sort of get into that in a little bit 
So um, after Bindi's work, you move through and we've got another couple of series and standalone images and we go into this sort of vast um, space at the end where we've got these really big, beautiful images up on the walls and there's a lot more standalone work. And there's a really interesting language that's being spoken between each of them. You've got what I quite like is at the far end in the corner, not not in a sort of diminishing way, actually quite the opposite, is um is Juno, Juno Calypso lying in her heart bath and it really like pulls your eye straight to that corner. And there's something really uh beautiful about the fact that it's almost um I don't know how to explain this so well, but I'm gonna give it my best shot. It's almost as if we're being drawn to the aesthetic of pink and the aesthetic of that sort of, you know, goopy, lovely, because Maisie, Maisie Cousins' work is on sort of the opposing wall and, you know, your eyes pulled to that far corner where you can see a bum and you see grass and, and yes, they're paired together aesthetically and yes, they're paired together for, uh, you know, many other reasons. But there's this sort of trick of the eye, I think, which is... In maybe almost a wink of like, yeah, oh, did you think this exhibition was just about, you know, tits and hearts? Oh, well, you fell for our trick. And then your sort of eye falls round the rest of the room and there's work from Joe Spence, Alexis Hunter, Sonia Boyce, Heather Adjapong, Juno Calypso, Anna Fox, you know. I don't know, there was something about it that I just really... I really felt like it was a nod to like, oh, made you look, uh, and now here's everything else. And I, I wonder whether that's a sort of play on, on you know, this sort of the reclamation of how we present ourselves as women, or whether, or whether I'm writing my own script and whether that's sort of what I do, which is, I sort of peacock with, uh, you know, cat eyeliner and some messy hair and you know just uh, rolled out of bed look but actually once I've sort of hooked him in I'm, I'm you know I'm straight talking whatever I don't know I said earlier that it wasn't I didn't want to sort of give long descriptions to things and it wasn't sort of about this is what I saw this is what I saw this was a picture it was on archival paper whatever um I suppose it's more like my thoughts aloud and something that dawned on me on the festival on a whole is the f it's the first photo London that I've gone to and Parry photo to be honest where I actually didn't feel like I was in an Ikea showroom and I think I felt really genuinely like there was a real uh, it wasn't performative and it was considered and it w and the word that comes to mind is collaborative there felt like there was a lot more communication going on between people who were in the inner workings of it and everything felt really considered which I liked um, and without sort of segueing into you know cue cue the sad music um, it really dawned on me when I was there that I am in the position that I'm in now through collaboration and, you know, maybe there is this big corporate 
monster that keeps the wheels turning and maybe we do need to sell work to put food on the table and and because of that sort of stuff it is actually incredibly important to have the people around you that support you and you know build you up and I suppose you know coming from this mid-season break it is probably a time that I look back and you know I thank everybody who I I mean I'm not going to do names because I'll be here for bloody hours but you know the people that are there that support you and that are your soundboards uh, and people that you really trust and people that really you know feel like you know you've got this 100% and I really don't think that I would be in that position because I wouldn't be in that position without them um I'm absolutely all talk and no walk and without my friends and without my collaborators and without my peers sorry am I accepting an oscar am I accepting lifetime achievement awards no I've got a <laughs> got a proxy broadcast. <laughs> but 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 the point still stands. Um without those people around me I probably would be still recording these, but I would then just um delete them. Uh which might actually, you know, be doing the world a favour. But there's yeah, collaboration, support, um, love, I suppose. Um and whilst I'm on um, this sort of subject of support and, you know, consideration and representation and networking and everything, uh, something that really dawned on me that I think, I think I've thought about a couple of times, but um, because it doesn't affect me in such a sort of blunt way, perhaps it's something that, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to say sideline because that's not the right word, but... Um, I, it hasn't been in completely my line of vision is there's something really difficult about um, I'm not going to speak about this very eloquently so I apologise for that because I don't really I haven't sat on it long enough to articulate what I want to say So, but I'm going to try um, when I was looking at the I think there was a book award room and a lot of the books were about, um, not so much about, but they had connotations or context of um, being enslaved and, and colonising and um, essentially a lot of it was uh, the sort of trials and tribulation and peril of, you know, having certain skin colours and, and living in certain parts of the world uh, and a lot of things that have happened to people historically and currently through nothing other than prejudice of, like I said, skin colour or geographical location. And um, I, I think it, it dawned on me that, you know, it must be completely, and it, it must be and it is utterly exhausting to just be you know, a black photographer, um, a, a photographer of colour, or, or anybody that doesn't just fit the absolute sort of s- sterile cube of what it is to be, you know, that type of person. Um, it must be completely emotionally exhausting to even go to a book awards and and engage with these books that have been shortlisted without this constant reminder of of 
peril and you know strife and and I know that storytelling is important and I know that history needs acknowledging and all of that but I I don't think I'd given gravity to the weight of not knowing if you're going to walk into a room and see imagery that is just a constant reminder of things that you don't not that you don't want to be defined by but that you shouldn't have to be defined by Um, and I'm sorry if that's not really as articulate as it could be but um, my friend showed me an extract in one of the Aperture magazines which I think sort of sums up slightly a little bit more what I'm trying to say and it's an extract about um, Carrie Mae Weems' work and it says Weems' genius has always been to reveal a vision of black life and creativity that exists behind the public face of stereotype and limited imagination. And my friend that I was with, um, there was a picture from um, the gallery in Brighton. I'll share the imagery. God, there were so many names and so many labels. I'm trying to remember everything, but I'll share everything on Instagram if I, if, you know, if my sieve of a brain doesn't serve me very well now. Um, that had sort of um, just beautiful imagery of of black domestic life and 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 other images that sort of tied into that narrative and and the frames were beautiful. Some of them were sort of full, full bleed, and then some of them were sort of um, uh, framed in velvet, and they were really nice. But I was really taken aback by her reaction to these images that just showed you know domestic life or there was a beautiful picture of a of a of a baby um and for it to be um a unique experience and not only a unique experience but for to see just the beauty of life and you know your representation in just you know a pretty normal positive light for that to be an experience in itself is something that I can't fathom. Um, yeah, and it's something that perhaps I haven't given um, weight to as much as I should, but it's something, you know, thinking and going forward, it's really going to, you know, sit with me, and hopefully it doesn't just sit with me and, you know, there's some sort of progression and, you know, those sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that, and there was, you know, a lot of um, moving on from that slightly. There was a lot of, you know... Nat Geo, Steve McCurry, poverty porn, that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, just something to really think about. And, you know, I think a lot about the outputs of these images. You know, where are they going and what are we showing? And there seems to be a big trend in taking pictures of people in treacherous situations in parts of the world. And and, And a lot of it's under the guise of highlighting the climate crisis Hmm. I don't know about that. I saw lots of images of floods, um, portraits of, of floods. Uh, yeah, really bizarre. Well, probably not bizarre, actually. <laughs> probably, you know, completely run of the mill, which is probably worse. Um, but yeah. Uh, one of the really, oh, hello. One of the really beautiful pieces of work that I wanted to talk about, um, was Leah Gordon. Um, my friend showed me her when we were there. And uh, there's a there's a piece of hers called Europe Supported by Africa and the Americas, A Prophecy. 
Um, and I really encourage you to go and have a look at this picture. And obviously I'll put it up on Instagram. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it. Um, but I would like everyone to go and have a look at it. And the way that Europe is portrayed um, is really interesting. And I think it's one of those images that, that will sit with you for a while. Um, but it fully deserves you know, a personal investigation into it if you're interested in that sort of thing. So that's definitely something to um, look out for. I'm really worried that I'm going to miss stuff out um, from what I'm, you know, from what I saw and what I'm talking about. So what will probably happen is that I'll put this episode out. I'll put a load of stuff up on Instagram. Reels, actually. I'm really into reels at the moment. Um... And then maybe I'll talk about it a little bit more a little bit later on when the the dust has settled and people have gone to the shows and, you know, reviews are out and there's sort of a conversation about it. Um, and I'd sort of maybe like to take the time then and maybe we could, you know, have a conversation about if there's works that anybody, you know, saw that resonated with them or... or, or you know the opposite um i don't really want to just put this out there and and you know it's a it's a hash job of i went there i saw i came back and you know this is what i think i kind of want it to be a bit more of a conversation and a bit more of an elongated thing so maybe you know there's an opportunity or a time to discuss these works in a little bit more detail and i'm sure that you know talking with my next couple of guests I'm sure that these themes will come up again and again. So, you know, I'm super keen to uh, keep that conversation open. Um, and also, of course, because I'm really nosy, I want to know what everybody else thinks of the work as well. So, um, yeah. Putting a call out, I suppose. Collaboration station. Um, something that I really want to talk about as well, because I'm a lifelong Maisie Cousins stan. Um is her exhibition uh, in the TJ Bolting, should we call it the cupboard? I think Hannah Watson called it a cupboard, so let's call it the cupboard. Um, the pink carpeted cupboard, cupboard, covered, coven, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, Walking Back to Happiness. Uh, this is Maisie Cousins' new work, and it's, it's a sort of exploration and reclamation, I think, of uh, childhood nostalgia. Um, again, sort of born from the imagination of the pandemic and um, through loss of original imagery and ephemera, I believe, um, Maisie uses AI to uh, recreate memories that sort of stem from this original idea of her visiting Blobbyland. You know, shout out Mr Blobby. I can't believe this is the first time that Mr Blobby is being brought up. I can't believe we're this far in, say this far in, six, seven episodes. Um, I'm also Mr. Blobby Stan. Um, my family WhatsApp group picture is Mr. Blobby. Like, yes. Um, and I was listening to No Such Thing as a Fish the other day, one of their latest episodes, and they're talking about Mr. Blobby, and they are, uh, there's a part of the, the show where obviously they're trying to communicate to international listeners, which I suppose maybe I should be doing here as well. Uh, Mr. Blobby, British icon. Um, 
yeah, they're trying to communicate basically what, who Mr. Blobby was and what Blobby mania was. And it's really difficult to explain. He's basically like the sort of semi-human embodiment of angel delight if there was like an explosion in the factory, I think. Maybe like angel delight, but like filled with uranium or something, you know. Um, but yeah, and, you know, I'm not surprised that Maisie likes this sort of stuff. Um but there is this sort of idea of nostalgia and recreation of memory and I'm really interested in that sort of stuff and you know her images are really small and I know that she fed a lot of um, they're sort of made to look sort of semi-like Polaroids so this replication of you know the analogue and you know nostalgia and that um, and she, I think she used Dali uh, the AI technology and sort of reference photographers like Martin Parr and then um yeah like uh, there's this sort of amalgamation of british childhood um sort of those weird uh liminal space videos on tiktok that you know i watch at three o'clock in the morning um all of these sorts of things and then there is this sort of sinisterness to it as well which um i think is completely relevant to childhood memory um, especially I was thinking when I was looking at them, the, the tendency when you're a child or looking back on memories now where like I just blew everything out of proportion, you know, everything was to the max. If I felt something, I felt it 150%. Um, so this idea of the bizarre and the, and the fabricated, um, to sort of an extremities is, is really interesting and obviously you know visually pleasing as well and I really liked it in the cupboard there was just sort of you know pink shag pile carpet and then a microphone and you could hear um, walking back to happiness which is the song that they used to play in the car on the way to blobby land um, you can hear that playing um, yeah and, and, and there's a microphone I don't know if I said that already and there's a a suit that is one of the images there's a there's a sort of turquoise sort of lobster man i want to say um and the suit is sort of slumped on a chair um yeah it was really interesting it was like that uh, the sort of embodiment of you know the, the the beautiful thing about Maisie Cousins's work is this real fine line between uh the sweet and the beautiful and the sumptuous but there's something that's super unsettling and something that speaks to something very, you know, guttural, uh, which I love. And, you know, whether that's her talking about sexuality and femininity and, you know, there's, there's always this element of sort of the disgusting and the unpredictable and the slightly uncomfortable, which obviously is right up my street. Um, but, yeah, I really love that. Got to check that out. That was wicked. And I uh, loved the cupboard as well. That was great. Um at the sort of complete other end of the spectrum, maybe conceptually, but actually just next door, was the um, Lee Miller archives, which I really like. There's something about just seeing... Um, and this is no disrespect to Maisie, but I think maybe she'd probably like me to say this. There's something about seeing that sort of work in this sort of you know time and climate and then looking at the Lee Miller stuff which is, you know, hashtag or, you know, air quote, classically beautiful, um, which I kind of love that conversation between the two of them. And 
when I was looking at that, there was sort of an extension of, you know, this writing your own script. These This work, of, sorry, wasn't a part of the writing your own script. Um, this was in the rest of the show. Um, yeah, and I, there's... I'm like when I was saying at the beginning, I like that I saw all of this work, you know, Leah Gordon's work, Maisie's work, the Lee Miller work. Um, after seeing the writing your own script exhibition, I was sort of on a high of this. Um, oh, I don't want to say sisterhood, um, but I, I, I think coven is actually a better word, you know, of, of um, this is what went before. So this is what comes now. And there is language that is sort of shared that transcends genre and aesthetic and style and, you know, social class and all those sorts of things, which sort of ties them together just through sort of very beautifully loose strands, which I really like. And that sort of ties back to what I was saying about this idea of everything felt a little bit more considered. But I wonder as well whether, because it's, it's not my first rodeo, you know, I've been there a couple of times. And, and going there as a photographer, um, as, an, an, as an artist, I suppose, as well, and, you know, who I am, I'm sort of now at peace with the fact that uh, I'm not shit when I'm there like no one gives a fuck who I am when I'm there uh, no one knows what I look like no one knows what my work is no one knows what I do and once you've sort of made peace with the fact that you can't afford the champagne at the bar which I do actually think should be complimentary if you're a VIP my first year you know I want it all um and that your work's not selling for 10 grand or, or you know whatever it is and you're not be there being represented by a gallery god now I sound bitter don't I um but once you're getting over all of that sort of stuff you're able to actually uh, maybe go at a little bit of a slower pace and uh, tune out everything that's sort of irrelevant and maybe I'm sort of, um, sort of, I don't know, I'm in a place where I can sort of tie those uh, threads together between exhibitions or between galleries that perhaps, you know, are competitors in a lot of respects but there did seem to be some sort of cohesion and consideredness between everything that was going on um, within Somerset House. So Photo London is, you know, the main event at Somerset House, but there's also um, satellite events and events, you know, within their own right. Um, there's Peckham 24, which is on all weekend as well. Um, and then there's Off Print at the Tate Modern as well, which sort of focuses on publishing and, and books and all that beautifulness but they smell good books smell so good um so yeah so let's leave somerset house let's take a little walk in the rain uh via itsu to you know have a snack on the way um and then head to the center for british photography so i know i'm sounding a little bit like fangirl sponsored post whatever but not at all. Um, the Centre for British Photography... Oh, no, I am a fangirl. I am. Centre for British Photography, uh, it's just off Piccadilly, um, and it's a beautiful, big space. Um, you know, it's a public space that is seeks to champion photography made in Britain in all of its diversity. That's their ethos. That's their statement. Um, absolutely, j'adore. 
and James Hyman is the director and Tracy Marshall Grant is the deputy director. Tracy Marshall Grant, hardest woman, hardest working woman in photography, in my opinion. Um, she's everywhere. She's all over it. Love that. Need that energy. That's what I need to absorb um, and not be, you know, the sloth that I am on the sofa watching reruns of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, hoping that my photos find their way into the world. Anyway, so yeah, Centre of British Photography. It's a charitable... Oh, God, I can't speak today. It's a charitable initiative. It has six exhibition spaces, a programme of public events, an archive and a photography sales gallery. It aims to provide a dedicated home for British photography in all of its diversity. The aim is to host exhibitions curated independently by outside curators and institutional partners, as well as internally curated exhibitions, as well as to provide... There's a lot of as wells, isn't there? To provide access uh, to the renowned Hyman Collection, which this whole thing sort of springboard from. I just made a new word up, springboard. Absolutely did. Mm. Uh, we wish to provide a platform for a range of voices in order to present an expansive overview of the diversity of British photography past and present, which I really loved. Um, I thought that was wicked. The space itself is super, super welcoming, super open. Um, you walk straight in. There's, I think there's an option to donate, but it's all free. And when um, James was giving his talk at Photo London, he really, maybe I am a bit of a fangirl, he really just alluded this air of, you know, being for the people and let's just look at work and let's enjoy it and let's celebrate voices. And I think, mm, should I, yeah, uh, it's really difficult to find people, I think, that say those sorts of things and really actually mean it. Um, if he had an aura, it would be like golden, but like understated golden. It's beautiful, honestly, wicked. Um, yeah, really like just for the expansion and celebration of photography in in its form and every form that it comes in at the moment. Um, so there's a couple of different exhibitions on at the moment, uh, including Natasha Caruana's Fairy Tale for Sale, Heather Agupong's Wish You Were Here. Love that. Love Heather's video. Love all of that work. Um, I could... No, I'm not. I don't really want to actually talk about it because I want her to come on the podcast because I have a suspicion from her Instagram handle that she's an EastEnders fan. Um, so, Heather, I really hope that this soundbite finds its way to you um, and I don't want to talk about your work until I can talk about it with you. That was really demanding. Sorry. Um, we've got Joe Spence. Um, yeah. There's, just, there's a lot going on. And in the basement is the English at home, which I found really interesting. Usually, if I see a big room full of black and white pictures, I'm probably not going in. Uh, not because I'm an uneducated swine, but just because I'm so seduced by, you know, the bright lights, big city, full colour, sexy, you know. But anyway, I, I persevered and I went in and I really loved it. It was... Um, Lots of different sort of perspectives and thoughts and a lot of it was quite raw and a lot of it was, you know, really beautifully put together and there was a lot of stuff that sort of, that, that there's a wall that creates tension between two series of works on the internals of the British domestic life that really 
fight against each other in quite an uncomfortable way. And I and I thought that was really beautifully presented. Um, and there's sort of a bench between these two bodies of work. And I thought it was really interesting that when we sat down, we faced a certain way when we could have faced the other way. And I wonder whether we were facing the wall of work that sort of spoke more to us or completely the opposite. Was it really interesting? Maybe just the pictures were nice, but, you know, there's something about that. I think uh, a lot of stuff that's done on, you know, primal actions and that is really interesting. Um, um, one of the series that really um, took me, sort of grabbed me by the face and made me look at it was um, Anna Fox's uh, My Mother's Cupboards and My Father's Words. Um, and I, I don't want to get into it too much, probably for obvious reasons, but yeah, it's very rare that I see a series that really strikes me straight through the heart. Um, I thought it was really beautifully put together and very, very jarring, which um, I'm not in Oh, I don't know if I'm entirely uh, ready to talk about how I feel about that work. So that might be something that I discuss at a later date. But uh, it's definitely the work that keeps me awake at night uh, in, in the last sort of two days or, you know, when I saw it. Uh, oh, that was yesterday. Bloody hell. Yeah, well, it kept me awake last night, so <laughs> so there you go. But, um, yeah, that was amazing. Um, really loved the space there. And also, I loved the digital presence, their website. Super easy to use, really accessible great research um, platform for anybody who's not uh, available to sort of make it to London to go and visit them. But if you can, I really highly recommend um, going and seeing what they're doing there because I think there's a lot of exciting stuff that's coming out of there for sure. A sort of semi-side note was um, the outfits that I saw were so good. Oh my God, I saw clothes and bags and shoes that I don't actually think I've seen before with my own eyes. There were some sort of navy Gucci loafers. And I also um, saw this woman who I'm destined to be when I'm older. I'm, I'm worried that she's somebody who I should know, but she was quite small and frail and elderly. And she was just, she was drippy. She had Celine trainers, she had a Celine sort of five panel on, uh, she had like this long Burberry trench, I think, and this sort of old vintage Chanel flap over one shoulder, um, and she had a big bag, she'd been buying stuff from the from the publishers. Uh, if anybody knows who this woman is, she had big sunglasses on as well, um, please hook me up, because I'd like to, her to adopt me so that we can, you know, run off together somewhere. But yeah, um, there's something that I, I kind of liked about seeing everybody's outfits, and I don't want, you know, I don't want any or any of my friends to sort of come for me for this, but there's actually really few events that I ever feel like in photography world that I can actually, you know, I don't know how to phrase it, but... I just feel like my wardrobe just doesn't get to have its day out in photography. Like, there's a sort of uniform, and the uniform is sort of downplayed, and it's almost like 
I don't know. Sometimes I think that people think it's sort of, you know, juvenile or sort of tacky to sort of dress up a little bit more. Um, oh, well, what are you going to do, eh? And I think that might be it for me at the moment, unless I think of anything really radical to say in sort of next, you know, couple of minutes. But I, I, I don't think I have at the moment. Um, but like I said, I don't even know if this will be a part one. There may well be a part two. Um, initial thoughts, digested thoughts. But, you know, I don't want to repeat myself too much. Um, but yeah, Photo London, it's going to be on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like I said, Peckham 24, off print, all of that good stuff is on as well. Um, sorry this wasn't very funny. Well, I don't think it was very funny. Maybe you can laugh at me tripping over my words, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's good to keep it serious sometimes, I suppose. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed this sort of semi, uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope you enjoyed this semi, uh, this, this semi roundup of what happened at, um, Photo London this year from somebody with a press pass for the very first time, completely bewildered, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it was lovely to go home to London, to see the friends, see the chums. My heart is very full. Uh, my brain is very tired and my eyes are being held open by matchsticks. So I am going to sign off, uh, double check that this was all recorded and then make it beautiful for um, everybody to listen to. Uh, everything I've spoken about I'll put up on Instagram, uh, all the links and everything that I find, all the reels that I will set to beautiful music, obviously. And if you have any questions or you know queries as ever please get in touch you can find us on instagram us me me the dog the rabbit and the noisy fridge you can find us on instagram at aka photo slut and you can email us at aka photo slut at gmail.com um yeah amazing everyone i mentioned thank you so much for sharing your work and putting it out there and giving us food for thought I'm really sorry if I haven't done you justice, but like I said, I wanted it to be sort of off the cuff and straight away. So, yeah, it was amazing. And, yeah, beautiful. Um, Got to bring down the price of that champagne, though. So, yeah, um, have a lovely weekend and we will see you maybe for part two of this, if I fancy it, in the next couple of days. Uh, but if not, we've got somebody really cool and fun uh, for our next guest, um, so you don't just have to listen to me uh, on my late-night talk show. But yeah, the longest outro ever. Um, thank you very much, and goodbye. Goodbye.